Guys, if you would, let's turn together to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy today, we're gonna finish chapter two. While you're turning there, today is Father's Day. I don't know if you can look around the room and tell. This is what Father's Day at churches looks like. I recognize there are people in this room that some of you didn't know your fathers. You never met them. Or you did know them and they were not good fathers at all. So on a day like this, this is a hard day. There may be some in this room that this is the first Father's Day where your father is no longer with you or you have long prayed to be a father and the Lord has not seen fit to grant that request just yet. So today may be a hard day for you. Today may be a celebration to you where you remember your dad fondly. You love your dad. He's still around. But hear me and hear this. For every believer in this room, you have an incredible father. You have a father that is always there, always with you, always for you, always faithful, always working out everything for your good. And every promise he has made to you, he is faithful to. So wherever situation you find yourself in, if you, if you see Father's Day as a, a good thing or a, a hard thing, recognize today that you have a heavenly father, Christian, who loves you, who's with you, who is for you. And that right there makes this a celebration. Dad's in the room. We are thankful for you. We pray for you. We want you to be powerful in the Lord, strong in the Lord, abiding in him in everything that you do, remembering him and doing all things to the glory of God. So in honor of you, we are as a church making a donation to the last house on the block, men's ministry there, because we believe in that ministry and we want to see the Lord continue to work through them. But here's what I wanna do. If you are a father in this room, I want to ask you to stand up. So guys, let's, let's recognize them and honor them. All right, you may be seated. And here in a moment, we're going to pray for you. We started a sermon last week on 1 Timothy 2 and speaking to the ladies. And there were three points that we wanted to make out of that passage, and we only got to two of them. So today we're going to finish that. But if you weren't here, we, we, we said last week that here in this text, God is calling men and women to recapture the purpose for which they were created. The first two points that God want, uh, was reminding women to recapture was their purpose in proper dress that when women dress, they are to dress modestly, not provocatively, not lavishly, but respectably with self-control. Secondly, they were to recapture their purpose and proper demeanor, that women were to live under the proper leadership that God has put, un, uh, put them under, and that this plays out in the congregation and the corporate gathering by their learning quietly and full submission. And this precludes them, because of that, from positions of teaching or authority over men. Now, if you didn't hear that sermon, you, you may be at a slight disadvantage today. Feel free to go back and listen to it, or you hear what it's about, and you say, you know, I don't want to listen to that. That's okay, too, but we're glad you're here. Um, here's what Paul writes. Likewise also, and you'll hear this, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, 
not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam, and this is where we are today, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. We're gonna need to pray before that one, aren't we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. You are an amazing, perfect, sovereign, gracious, loving Father. And we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful that while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be restored to a right relationship with you so that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could be made righteous, so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High King. What an incredible, amazing grace that is, as we just sang. You are so good. And Lord, your goodness even shows in the dads in this room. Lord, I wanna thank you for them. We confess our shortcomings. We confess our failures and our sins. We recognize them. They are ever before us. And we confess our need of you. We need you, Lord, to strengthen us in the task you've called us to. Not only as men, but as husbands, we're fitting. As fathers, we're fitting. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us so that we would be fathers like you are a father. So that when those around us, our children most notably, see us in the way that we talk to them and treat them, that, Lord, they would see you, that they would see a proper picture of you. So, Father, strengthen us for that. I pray for those who today is a hard day. I pray that you would comfort them. You would give them hope in the resurrection that Jesus purchases for us. I pray that, Lord, you would encourage us this morning through your word that, Lord, you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the clarity to recapture the purpose for which we were created. We want to live lives that are pleasing and honoring to you and that are used by you so that the world will see Christ. And so, Lord, today, as we open up your word, bring about that, we pray. May we be more like Jesus when we leave. May we trust you more than when we came in. May we love you more than when we came in. May we know more about you than when we came in. Lord, do an incredible work in here. We don't wanna just learn. We want to, through our learning, love you better and love one another better. So Lord, you do that because we can't. So work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look around. Why would we spend time talking about this? Why would we put in the effort on this? I mean, look at how many people are lost and going to hell. I mean, surely that's more of a focus than this, right? Look at the state of the world. It's it's crazy. It's nuts. I mean, we're like a ship without a rudder, just working towards the rocks, just working toward destruction. 
Look at our nation. It's June. It's Pride Month. We're not only celebrating that which God hates, we're actually punishing people that refuse to celebrate it, that refuse to bow down to the gods of sexual revolution. I mean, surely that's more important than this, isn't it? Why would we spend time talking about this? And I'm glad you asked that. The answer is this, because it's next. Because it's next. Because this is God's word, and when he speaks, we listen. We don't pick and choose what we want to talk about. We don't skip over the hard things. We listen because he is the Lord, and we are his servants. And our task as, mo- as servants of the Most High God is to listen, to believe, and to obey. But that's not the only reason. I'm convinced that a massive reason that we are in the mess we are in is exactly because we have forgotten who we were made to be. That the fall itself uh, began when the creatures, when the creation, when those created by God forgot who they were and they decided that they wanted to be equal with God or even above God that they bought the lie that his word binds us, that it keeps us from joy and fulfillment. But if we can break away from him, then we will find freedom and we will find joy. That what we need most is to get out from under the yoke of God and have his word. And so what we're doing today is to say, that's not true. It's never been true. It's not true at this moment. And so we're taking time to say, you know what? Where God speaks, listen. Because if we don't listen, nothing good will come of it. So what is the call today? Recapture your purpose. Men, remember who you were made to be. And women, likewise, remember who God created you to be. Don't forget. Let's look back at what he has made us to be. Now, is this going to go against the world? Of course. I mean, how do we know that that's true? Because the system of the world is actually set up and designed to be against the word of God. So if we're gonna follow the word of God, we're gonna be in opposition to the direction of the world. This has always been true, and it's true now. And so we're gonna have to choose, even this day, who are we gonna serve? Who are we gonna listen to? Who are we going to trust Last week, we pointed to God's call through, Peter that, uh, through Paul that women were not to teach or to have authority over men, rather they are to remain quiet. Now, we pointed out last week, let me say it again, this is not to say that when women come into the congregation that they can't speak, that they should shut their mouths or we should put tape over their mouths. That's not what he's saying. Rather, when they come in, there should be among the women a submissiveness and a teachableness rather than a divisiveness, an argumentative nature, or a desire and a a kind of carrying out of speaking out against their leaders. Now, I did get a few emails from you guys. I know, surprising, isn't it? But you remember how I closed last week. If you have questions, what did I say? Email me. So thank you for sending those emails. And so here's, here's some of those things that I got. I've heard some great women teachers Guess what? I have two. Some fantastic teachers. 
They know the word. They are clearly growing as disciples of Christ. This is awesome. It's a wonderful thing. What Paul is not saying here is that women can't learn or that women can't teach. In fact, women are to teach. They are just not to teach or have authority over men. That's what he's saying there. Others said, well, you missed the context. Context matters. And I agree with that. Context always matters. But that the argument that that is making is, hey, look, that was just for those days because women were not educated, so they were not to teach. That in those days, women, it was looked down upon for a woman to take authority. And so Paul's just agreeing with the culture. He's going along and saying, hey, because it's not looked upon kindly there, you shouldn't do it. And so the argument is essentially just saying, hey, Paul says this because of culture. Now, time-wise, last week, we, we ran into the unfortunate part of running out of time when Paul actually gives the reasons for which he says this. So verse 13 gives us that. Why, Paul, should women not teach or have authority over men? And look what he says. He says, because Adam was formed first and then Eve. That's his reason. Why should women not teach or have authority over men, Paul? Because women were, uh, men were formed first. Adam was formed first and then Eve. That that's the reason that he says this. Notice what he does not do. He does not root this command in culture. He actually does the exact opposite. He tells us, I'm rooting this command in creation. That at creation, God formed man first and then he formed Eve. Well, why does that matter? Why does he use that argument? Because what we see at creation grounds the rest of Scripture. That when God created man first, he meant something by it. That he was creating man to be the representative head, the leader the protector, the provider, the one who goes out in front and that when all is said and done, he is the one who must answer. And women being formed second was to be the helper who lived in submission to the men under whom she was to find her lead. Now, one other question, let me just spend a few moments on it. Who is it that women are to submit to biblically? Is it all men? No, no. We read in the scripture that women are to be subject to their own husbands. And we read in the scripture that women, just like men, are to be subject to the leadership that God has placed over them in the church. So if we find out that one of the men in this congregation comes to one of the women in this congregation who is not his wife and just says, hey, you should, no, you shouldn't. You should come get me. And then we'll have that conversation. That's not how this works. There is a proper headship that God places over women. And there is an improper headship that some men seek to take over women. We need to know the difference. Paul continues this uh, when he says, look, 
women being formed second was to be helper and submission, that we see it in marriage. And Paul makes this clear in Ephesians chapter five, that the man is to be the lead, the head pointing to Christ, and the wife is to be in submission to her husband, pointing to the church and how the church submits to her husband, Jesus. We see it in 1 Corinthians 11, where we read in verse eight, for man was not made from woman, but woman was made from man. In the prior verse, he writes that man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. That there is a consistent theme throughout the scripture, and it's the reason Paul gives this command, because at creation, men were made to lead, and because this is true, that same leadership should show itself in the church. This command is rooted in creation, not culture. But that's not the only reason he gives. And if you're visiting with us here today, so glad, so good to have you. I hope to see you next week too. He says in verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, what does that mean? Remember the context. Paul is writing for us to recapture our purpose found in creation. And right there in Genesis 3, Satan comes in the garden. He comes not to Adam, not to the leader, not to the protector, not to the head. He comes to Eve. And he lays before her the lie that she can find freedom and joy and happiness by stepping outside of the role that she has been given outside of the leader that God had protected her from, outside of his authority as God himself, outside of the protector that God had given her to be there, outside of the provider that God had given to be there. Now remember, it wasn't just Eve who messed up here. Eve was meant to follow the leader who protected and provided for her. But guess what? The protector wasn't doing his job. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. The Bible talks about it as if he's standing right there and he does nothing. And so Paul's pointing back to this moment right here and he's saying, look, he, he dropped out of his role. You dropped out of your role, Eve. How'd it go? Did it work out? And the obvious answer is no. It threw all of creation into chaos. And why he's making that point is to say, look, the temptation is still there. The deception is still there. And at the end, it will be the same. That even now, if we continue to try to put pieces where they don't go, the result will be the same. If we continue to try to act in ways for which the Lord did not create us, then it will continue to cause problems. Women are not to teach or have authority of the men, over men because they weren't created for that. God has a different plan. So men, work in your God-given roles. Follow Christ so that you can lead well. Find joy by working in the spirit. And women, find joy by working in your God-given roles through submission and learning and quietness in this particular occasion. And he will bless you in that. We will find blessing in that as a church. Why? Because even as the song says, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to what? To trust and obey. Even the hard stuff. 
Now, this is where it actually gets interesting. Verse 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So women, you want to be saved? Have children. Is that what he's saying? Clearly not. That would make no sense whatsoever, would it? How are we saved? By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. We just talked about it a few moments ago. How are we saved? By trusting that Jesus alone can save you. By understanding that we are sinners who have rebelled against God and that we need a savior. We need someone to come and save us from our sins because we can't do it. We're dead in them. And so what does God do? He sent his perfect as one and only son, Jesus, to live the life we were supposed to live, to die the death our sins deserved and to rise again for our victory. Is there any other way? There's not. There's only one way, that he alone, through faith in Christ alone, he is the way and the truth and the life and no one's gonna come to the Father except through him. So we can't mean by that women have children so you will be saved. So what does it mean? Again, remember, God is seeking for you to recapture your purpose in creation, to go back and remember what he's made you to be, to stop trying to find joy and fulfillment and satisfaction apart from that and to just remember. And so here's point three of last week's sermon, which I don't think I've ever said. He wants you ladies to recapture your purpose in the proper domain. What is that domain? It's this, it's childbearing, it's family. You want to be saved out of the monotony of this world, out of the hopelessness of this world, come back to this. Now, if you feel like it couldn't get quieter in here just a moment ago, it just did. What does he mean? Let's just think about this. We said a few weeks ago that Satan began attacking men by telling them that they are worthless, that they are brutes, that they are dumb, that they are unworthy of honor and respect, that every single guy in this room is some sort of cross between Homer Simpson or Al Bundy or any other TV dad of the last 40 years, that you guys are jokes. And then the conversation turned to this toxic masculinity stuff and how manhood is dangerous and it needs to be eradicated. Have you heard those conversations? They're all over the place. That you need to get in touch, men, with your feminine side. Here's the deal. Men don't have one of those. It's not the way God made you. You don't have a feminine side. You're not supposed to. The world tells you, men, that you are broken and that hope will be found by getting away from your masculinity, by putting it aside. Thank God for Gillette helping us to see how that's supposed to work. Why would Satan do this? We talked about this because you men are meant to be protectors and providers, shepherds and leaders of your home. And if he can get you out of that role, either by pushing you down or punishing your mind, if he can get you out of that task and take the protector out of the place, then what happens next? Then your home is his and your family is his. Why? Because the protector is gone. He's been pretty successful at that. 
And then he turned his sight to the women and he began convincing the women that their role is not enough, that if you women are gonna be taken seriously, if you're going to be respectable, then you need to get out of the home. You need to go and get an education. You need to go and build your own wealth, your own success, your own occupation. This is, this is the call of feminism right here. It, it, has, it has dishonored and degraded the home. It degrades motherhood. It degrades the role of the wife. And in many ways, we've bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Why would Satan wanna do that? You don't have to think hard on it. If you take the men out of the role, you can then attack the women. And if you can convince the women that being around the children is actually not a good thing, it's a bad thing. If you can tell them that their role is not enough, that God is holding them back, that their husbands are holding them back, but freedom will come from breaking away from this role, then they will find joy and fulfillment not in the home, but outside. And so what have we seen? Dads are out, moms are out, and now it's open season on the kids. And that's exactly what has happened. You think we're doing well as a society? I mean, do you see children that honor their father and their mother, that honor authority? You see a nation that is prospering and living and you look at the next generation and say, we're gonna be in good hands. No, of course not. Remember what Malachi 2.15 said, God desires godly offspring. It's what he wants, godly offspring. And so what has Satan sought to do? He sought to destroy that, to take the idea of family and make it what se seem more like a burden to you than a blessing. Hear what Paul is telling you. God has graciously given the women the ability to bear children. Now, don't listen to the science. Men cannot do that. Only women can give birth. And it's not a burden, it's a blessing. It is to be a privilege, not a punchline. Women, the world tells you that you will be saved, you will be delivered by taking on the role of the man and getting outside of the home and setting your eyes and your focus, every bit of you on work. It's a lie. God has given you the incredible blessing of bearing children. Don't see it as a trap. Don't see it as a hindrance. Don't see it as something to put off as long as you can, as if you need to go out and experience life before you're bogged down and chained down by children. That even before the fall, your principal task was childbearing and family care. It's a wonderful and a glorious calling, but it has become so removed from us that I can't help but imagine some of you are just shocked that I'm talking like this, that I'm saying this. What Paul's doing is he's setting before us that one of the primary creational roles for women is to be in raising children and in caring for their homes. This is what we see in Proverbs 31. It was just read earlier. 
that that in a sense is the ideal woman. That's what the picture is, that this is what wisdom looks like playing out among women. She cares for her home. Her children are fed. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. She's not afraid of snow because her household is clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings. She looks well to the ways of her household. Now, let me answer a question that you probably have. Are you saying that women cannot work outside of the home? Is anybody wondering that? No, I'm not saying that. Because listen to what Proverbs 31 continues to say. We're told that she not only cares for her home, she also worked outside of the home. That not only does she look well to the ways of her household and not eat the bread of idleness, but she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. You hear that? That there is an occupation that takes place outside of the home. So don't hear me saying that you can't work outside of the home. That's not what he's saying here. If you work outside of the home, that is not a sin. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. There should be a primary duty and a primacy, a primary focus for women that is on your home and on your children. That when we get to the place where the home and the children are just kind of thrown to the side for the sake of job and career, then we need to recapture our calling that we've gone too far. Why? Because God desires godly offspring. He desires his sons and his daughters to raise sons and daughters who know him, who know his word and his promises and his blessings, his commands, that he desires godly offspring. And so he sets his calling on women to say, you can do this. Make this your passion. Make this your primary concern. Now, I understand that there are some in this room who are unmarried, and there are some in this room who have not been blessed with children yet. Please don't hear this as saying you are less than or that you are unable to fulfill the calling God has for you. God is the one who gives. And for some reason, God is the one who at times holds back. And he's both sovereign and good in whichever situation you find yourself in, that he has a purpose for you, for his glory and for your good, that where you are is not a backup plan, it's not a, a lower tier calling, wait on him, trust in him, and he will show his kindness to you, and we're praying for you for that. But I fully believe that this is a, this is a means of world evangelization, that, that this godly offspring that Christians are to be growing and building is a means by which the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. For as his sons and daughters have sons and daughters who grow up knowing him, then the gospel goes out. But we must, and hear me in this, we must return to the truth that the home is primary for Christians. That if you leave your home and you go out and you make millions of dollars or you have all the success in the world or your, even your kids can throw a great fastball, your daughter is the cheerleading captain, that somehow that's success. It's not. God doesn't desire baseball players. He desires godly offspring. 
You wanna see this nation change. I hear you guys say it all the time. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for our nation. Do you wanna see Columbus change? Let's set our eyes on something that's a little more relative to us. You wanna see Columbus change? You know how it's gonna look? You know how it's gonna be done? By godly fathers and godly mothers raising godly sons and daughters. And then the next generation does it, and the next generation does it, and the next generation does it. What that is, is it's not doing great things for the Lord. It's walking in faithfulness with what he's put before you. It's doing that and even, even I think, planting trees of, of which the fruit we will never eat, but our sons and daughters will, and their sons and daughters will, and their sons and daughters will. What we need is to come back and say, okay, what were we made to do? What is our primary focus? And if you start outside of your home and outside of your specific fear and task that he's given you, then we've started off on the wrong foot. So what's Paul saying? What is the Lord saying through Paul? Come back, come back. Men, let's set our focus where it needs to be. Women, let's set our focus, our primacy where it needs to be. And watch what I do. Watch how I use it. Look, you may not have kids. Your kids may be out of the house with kids of their own or kids of their own. So what do you see? What do you do? You come alongside younger parents and encourage them. Rebecca would probably be happy if you volunteered to work with the nursery. Work with them. Some of these youth, they could use some gray hairs in their life. Could be helpful to them. You're not useless, even if your children are outside the house. God will use you if you are faithful and willing to work, that God has you here for a reason, that your time here is not purposeless. He's gifted you for his glory. So let's return and let's recapture the calling. Set your eyes right there and then continue on in faith and love, in holiness with self-control. Will we stand out from the world? Yes. But this world and its pursuits are fading. And you were made and you were made once again new for something better. You were made for good works that glorify your Father in heaven and you won't find joy anywhere else. So what is it he's calling you to? Some of you need to be saved. You need to come to Christ in faith. If that's you, you're welcome to come up and pray with me here at the end, talk with me, whatever. Some of you, you feel the Lord calling you to join this body of believers. I'll be right down here. Feel free to come find me. But whatever it is, let's respond to the Lord in obedience and in faith. What's he calling you to? Listen. Listen.